Well, we're in chapter 3 of uh, Galatians. And uh, for the next couple of chapters, um, Paul begins to focus on the truth of the gospel. And continuing dealing with the, the realization that, as we said, the, the churches that compose the churches in the Galatia area, the Galatians, are, are being bombarded by these guys and who have come from uh, the area of Jerusalem and, and that area to, to bring this addition to the gospel of grace. You know, you're saved by grace through faith, and that's what Paul taught. And as soon as Paul was through there, I mean, they're right there, and they're adding works. They're saying, that's fine. Jesus is fine. Faith is fine. But you need to add to it the law. You need to add circumcision, the ceremonial law. You need to do all of that stuff. You've got to be Jewish to become Gentile. And this isn't a total affront to Paul and, and to these Gentile believers. If they, you know, they, they, they don't have, the J- Jews couldn't be saved by being Jewish. Why would the Gentiles join in? And so this is a huge kind of crisis of, of early on. I mean, I, I, I am of the belief that this is the first book Paul wrote. So it's a, a huge crisis situation. In addition, a part of the way that they try to, to, to sh- uh, spread their version of a gospel of false gospels we saw in chapter 1 is by discrediting Paul as an apostle. So Paul has had to defend himself. And so now he's going to speak the truth. And, and what he's going to do, we're going to be in chapter 3, verses 1 through 14 today. And uh, verses 1 through 4, Paul basically has an appeal to experience. The experience of their life in verses 1 through 5. I said 4, but 1 through 5. An appeal to the experiences of their life. He deals with the authenticity of their faith. And then in verses 9 through 14, Paul has an appeal then to the evidence or the scripture, which is his ultimate support. For the gospel, this deals with the authority that is there. Uh, one of the things that, as life has moved on and times change, and I experience in in my ministry is when I was a younger pastor, of uh, the generations that were there, simply appealing to the authority of Scripture was enough uh, in ministry and in preaching. And you just said the Bible says this, and everybody says, "All right," but that doesn't work so much anymore. And we live in a world where experiences and feelings and the things you encounter carry a lot of weight. So authenticity matters. And it's always mattered. Now, ultimately, everything is measured against God revealing himself to us, what we call scripture, the Bible. That's what we measure things against. But the experiences of our life, while they are validated and they are proven true or false by the evidence of Scripture. The experiences of our life oftentimes serve to illustrate the truth of Scripture. One of the reasons in my life that I know that Scripture is true isn't just that thus saith the Lord, I get that, but it's as I lived my life out and other believers have lived their life, our lives give illustration. It gives some evidence. It gives some light to show just how true scripture really is. We don't authenticate scripture. That's not what I'm saying. Don't ever say, don't misquote me on that. Sometimes I get misquoted and I won't be misquoted. Experience never oversees the evidence. Evidence always tops experience. 
but experience can in many ways help illumine and be very helpful. So this is kind of what we see here. So Paul is going to make that appeal. In verse, the first five verses, Paul basically is going to ask a series of five questions. Some of, the, some of them are kind of uh, questions that have two aspects to it, but they're really this is that way. He begins in, in, in verse 1. He says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed. It's crucified. It's a mouthful, but it's so important. <laughs> the word foolish... There's just no getting around it. it. means you idiot, and that's just what it means. And th- some of the old commentators are not near as polite as some of the newer guys don't like to use that term, but some of the old guys just says, man, they're, he says, you idiot Galatians. What's wrong with you? That's really what he's saying. You, you, you guys have no understanding of what's going on. The word for bewitched means to have someone cast a spell on you. It is... In, in, in that day and age, the idea of having the evil eye, you know, you ever hear about the, the evil eye or someone giving you the evil eye? So there's a play on words here because he says, who has given you the evil eye before whose eyes Jesus Christ publicly was demonstrated to be crucified? In other words, you, you saw for yourself that Jesus Christ was publicly crucified. That's the foundation of your salvation. Now someone has given you the evil eye or someone has put a spell on you. So notice the importance of the concept of the public crucifixion of Jesus. Jesus' death was was public and and it's the crucifixion that forms and when the subsequent resurrection that forms the basis of salvation. So he's saying, what happened to you? And then in, in verse two he says this, this is the only thing I want to find out from you. Now, saying that's the only, his, his phrase, only thing, is a little bit of hyperbole because he's going to ask several more things, but Paul was, was known to do that, but you get the point. It's emphatic. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? And so here it comes. Now, before, before we talk about this whole thing about law and faith, the works of the law, Okay, that's, that's one thing he talks about. Did you, did you receive the Spirit, he said, by, by the works or uh, by faith. And so that came from hearing. He talks about the Spirit. That is the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul, he just so smoothly does this. It's beautiful. He just says, you all have the Holy Spirit within you. So how did that Holy Spirit get there? Did it get there because you kept the law? Do you think all those Jews who kept the law has the Holy Spirit, or did it come through faith? Now, you know, Paul wasn't there at Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, but he understood that at Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came in a way that we call permanent abiding. So one of the things that we see here is that in order to be a follower of Christ, you have to have the Holy Spirit. It's there. It's, it's part of the faith proposition. It's part of that faith experience. You get the Holy Spirit. Those folks who, who teach that the Holy Spirit comes later, that you get saved and then you receive the Holy Spirit later, are telling you a lie. It's wrong. As I like to say, they're just making that up. Which just so happens to be a chapter in the book that you can get for free. With a $13.49 fee. So, you know, we, and I say this all the time. I say this all the time. How many times do you hear me say, people just making stuff up? Because they do. It's amazing. The things that people make up and they peel the scripture. Then they go and they take this little piece of scripture over here and they cut it out. 
And they take this little piece of scripture over here and they cut it out and then they paste it together and then they ignore all this other scripture like this to come up with doctrines. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're as lost as any pagan. It's just that simple. But to be a follower of Christ is to have the Spirit. How did you get that Spirit? So Paul says, did you work for it? Well, of course not. They knew that. They never heard. They didn't know the Judaizers when they were saved. When they were saved, the Judaizers hadn't come talking about the law at all. But they all had the Holy Spirit. The third question he asked in verse 3. Are you so foolish? There he goes again, same word. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? You were going with the Spirit. Now, so is, are you going to finish this off in the flesh? The word perfected comes, the root word is the word telos. It means to be complete. It's a critical word if you find all over the New Testament. Uh, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, it's the end of chapter 5. Of course, he didn't call it chapter 5, but put it the way. says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be complete is what it means. It doesn't mean to be sinless. He's not telling us to be something we can't be, sinless. He's saying be completed, be full, be where you need to be, be mature. And James, the first book probably written in the New Testament, says uh, it was James. And after he says hello, he says, consider it all joy when you suffer the trials of many types, knowing that the testing of your faith, the testing of faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect or completed work in you so that you may be perfect or completed lacking in nothing. In Christianity, there was the idea of completion, of us being at some point completed. We're not completed yet, but there's a process you work towards ultimately fulfilled, looks like coming to Christ or death. So Paul's saying, you got the spirit. Now, how, how do you think you're going to, how are you going to finish that off? You think the law, the flesh, is going to do that? Verse 4, he said, did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. Is there a rattling going on or a buzzing? Huh? It's just me? Man, I'm getting old. I know how some of you feel. I really do. I won't mention names, but if you need to know if it's you or not, ask me afterwards and I'll tell you. He says you suffered, you endured so many things. He said, you know, the humiliation, the being, the being cut off by your family and friends, all you do, was all empty, vain, useless, if indeed it was vain at all. I mean, is this what happened to you? Verse 5 says, so then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you, or does great think works among you is what it means, do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? So here's what he's saying. All the things that you've experienced in life, and there were some tremendous works that were done by the, by the Lord and through all of this. Was it by you keeping the law or was it by faith? Remember, they didn't know they were supposed to keep the law when they were initially saved. They were just living by faith. And then these guys came from Jerusalem and told them they had to start keeping the law Paul appeals to their experience. What is your experience in salvation? It was by faith. All of us who are followers of Christ, before we became followers of Christ, 
especially as adults, we know this, try to, to get right with God by the things we did. We still try that sometimes, to get right with God by what we do. And fundamentally, we are right with God by nothing we do, but by what Christ did. And what Christ did, we accept in faith. That's our experience. But with that experience now comes the evidence of Scripture. So here, this is a fascinating thing. I, uh, our, co- our connect group is going, I don't know if, some of you may have done this. We're going through on Right Now Media. If you don't, you can, if, by the way, if you don't have Right Now Media, you can get it for free through us. You go to our website, and what happens next? You click on media, and then it says right now media, and you click on right now media, and then you call the church and see what happens next. <laughs> Follow the instructions. So Andy Stanley has brilliant stuff, and I love Andy Stanley. Uh, uh, you know, he, some, he says what I think all the time, and so I can, I, the things he says, I'm like, yeah, I agree. And you've heard me say things, not, I don't copy him. I come up with on my own. I think sometimes I think he copies me, but he doesn't tell anybody, but here's the thing. He's got one of the lessons called out, called the Bible for grown-ups. It's four four-part series, the Bible for grown-ups. Phenomenal. Our, our connect group's going through it, and you know, and, and it just what's phenomenal is the way he words it. And one of the things, one of the things that you know he says, and I, one of the things that I tell y'all sometimes is that the reason you and I accept the Old Testament is because Jesus accepted, accepted the Old Testament because the Old Testament wasn't written for me. If I wasn't a follower of Jesus, why in the world would I want to keep the Old Testament? Think about it. It was, written, it was written so long ago to a, basically about Jewish people, and they didn't keep it. Have you read it? I'm going through Samuel and Kings and Chronicles preparing our sermon series. Do you know how much of that they just flat ignored all the time? But you know why it's important to us? Because Jesus said it was important. Here's the key thing. When Paul, the early church, and, and remember, this, these people are Gentiles now. And the church became more and more Gentile. By 70 AD, when Jerusalem was destroyed, the church becomes predominantly Gentile. You know what their scriptures were? It wasn't the New Testament. They didn't have it collected. I mean, Paul hadn't even written anything yet. I mean, the Gospels hadn't been written when Paul writes this letter. When he talks about scripture, what's he talking about? It's the Old Testament, or what they would call the scriptures, or the Old Covenant. And the amazing thing about all that is the Gentiles, and, and I was preparing for my, for my connect group, and Andy was wording this, and it was just worded it so well. I just want to share. One of the things the Gentiles, that, that they did, is they accepted the scriptures of the Jews, but they never accepted Judaism. What they saw in the Old Testament was Jesus. They began to understand, what is it that I always say, that the Old Testament points to something? And the New Testament fulfills it. Only the New Testament hadn't been written. So I would, they would say it this way. The scriptures point to Jesus. And there is Jesus. And what makes Paul so unbelievable is that Paul was this brilliant Jewish mind and scholar. He understood the Old Testament, the scriptures, probably better than any living human being at his time or since his time. I, I just don't have the time to express to you, explain to you, all of his knowledge and his education and upbringing in the Old Testament. So Paul comes and he lays this out 
And what we're seeing in these next few verses is Paul taking the scripture and demonstrating to them how Christ fulfills that. And they don't need the law. And you, we, we need to understand if you think or you believe that the Old Testament law will at some point pick back up and will continue in some connection with the second coming of Christ, you have misunderstood the New Testament entirely. Because all they tell you time after time is it is over, it is finished in Jesus. And nothing in that old stuff will save you. And we don't keep it anymore. And here's what he says in verse 6. Even Abraham, he's appealing to Abraham. Abraham is, Judaism is traced back to Abraham. He's the guy. Even Abraham, and this is from Genesis 15, 6, believed God. And it was reckoned to him as righteousness. To be righteous is not immoral. When Paul is not using righteousness in a moral sense, it is in a legal sense. To be declared right with God. Genesis 15, 6 basically says this. Abraham believed all that God told him. He had faith. And he was righteous. He was right with God. So Paul is saying that the founder of Judaism, before there ever was a law, there was no law when Abraham was around. Law didn't come to 400 plus years later with Moses. I mean, he was way down the line. How did Abraham, how was he right with God? There was no law to keep faith. Therefore, in light of all this, be sure that those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. Now, for all the women out there, before I know we're in a different time and for all the feminists, get on it. The term son, it's not, it's not about the gender, it is about the title. The son was the heir. That's how it lived back then. Can't help it. Can't change it. The son inherited everything. The daughter didn't get nothing. So he's talking about an inheritance. The son, the title of son, which all of us belong to. We are those of faith. We belong to Abraham. We are his children. Jesus says we're his children. Paul says we're his children. The writer of Hebrews will say we're his children. Who are the descendants of Abraham? Once the cross occurred, it is anyone, regardless of their nationality, regardless of their gender, regardless of their economic status, who has faith in Jesus. Why? Because Abraham had faith in God. The secret is faith. It is never the law because Abraham didn't have the law. There were no laws for Abraham. He just believed. And so you see this. He's just connection he's making. So he's bypassing the law. Then he says in verse 8, the scripture, foreseeing. Remember, the Old Testament promises. It foresees. It looks ahead. Paul says this, that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. The word justified and righteous are the same Greek word. Depends on the form and the, and the way it's used. It means a legal declaration. Seeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, 
preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. The scripture, the Old Testament, preached the good news. That's the exact word used. Evangelion, pro-evangelion, preached the good news. To Abraham saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. That's Genesis 12. Now here, people read Genesis 12, God's covenant with Abraham. I get this, I hear this all the time. God promised Abraham that he would have a nation through Isaac, the nation of Israel. And that was the great covenant God made with Abraham. God promised him that, but that was not the covenant. It's part of the covenant. The covenant was that all the world, the nations, would be blessed through you. That was the promise. The word nation does not mean geopolitical unit. It means it's the word ethnicity. We get a word ethnic from it. It's people groups. All the cultures of the world would be blessed through Abraham. How are all the cultures of the world blessed through Abraham? Is it through the Jews? Nope. Not even close. It is through Jesus Christ, which is why in the New Testament it says that there will come a time that every nation, tribe, language will worship. Hear the gospel in worship. Someone from every tribe, nation, language, culture will worship Christ. Why? Because all the nations of the world will be blessed. I don't make this stuff up. This is just Paul writing this. So then he says, verse 9, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Abraham, he says, is the believer. We're children of Abraham, you and I. Why? Faith. That's pretty cool. I mean, we're connected to Abraham. I mean, just right there. Then in verse 10 through 14, he continues. And then he talks about the law, what the law does, and the problem with the law. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. In other words, if you place yourself under the law, like the Judaizers did, like they're trying to get you to do, here's what it says. He's quoting Deuteronomy 27, 26. Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law to perform them. Cursed is anyone who does not abide by everything written in the law. It's not just the Ten Commandments. It's the 613 other regulations in there. Has anybody kept all of them? Not a chance. Every one of you, I know, I know of at least one commandment Every single one of you breaks on a regular basis. You know which one? No. I don't lie. It's not that one. Huh? Sabbath. Sabbath. You don't honor Sabbath. You know when the Sabbath is? Friday night to Saturday night. How many of you worship the Lord from Friday night to Saturday night? I don't. I go out to eat Friday night with my wife. You know what I'm doing Saturday night? I'm preparing the sermon for Sunday. I haven't written it by then. I've got to write that thing. I'm running out of time. Twelve hours left. I've got to preach it. It's pressure. You know what I'm not doing? I'm not worse. In the middle of the Sabbath, you know what I'm doing right now? At this time of the year, in the middle of the Sabbath? Watching college football is what I'm doing. 
when I watch football, ain't no honoring going on. You got to keep all of it. Keep none of it. Who said that? Moses. Quote Jesus. I mean God. <laughs> Not Jesus, God. Sorry about that. Verse 11. Now that no one is justified by the law, no one is justified by the law because you can't keep the law before God is evident. And that's why in Habakkuk 2.4, Habakkuk 2.4 says the righteous man shall faith, will live by faith. Habakkuk, and I've told you this before, and, and Paul quotes Habakkuk twice here in Romans 1 and the book of Hebrews quotes him. Habakkuk, the righteous person, the person who is just, the person who is in right standing before God lives by faith. I don't have time to go into all the background of that passage. I've done it before, but you know, Habakkuk, Way before Jesus, 605 years before Jesus. Got to add another eh, 45, 50 years to this, 655 years previous. It's by faith that the righteous live. However, the law is not of faith. The law is not of faith. It's doing stuff. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Leviticus 18.5, Leviticus 18.5. If you're going to practice the law, you've got to live by it. If you're going to do it, you've got to do it completely. So verse 13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Now, the word redeemed is important. This idea of ransom is he paid a price. Too often, you know, we, we, people try to figure out, well, well, who did Christ pay the ransom or, or payment to? And that's not ever the issue. You know, a lot of weird theories. The important thing is this, Christ paid a price. How do we know he paid the price? Paul tells us that having become the curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Deuteronomy 21, 23 says that. The cross was considered a Christ on the tree. How did Christ redeem us? How did Christ ransom us? He paid the curse price. He paid the price of the curse when he hung on the tree. He died in my place. The substitution of Jesus is so important. And, and, and there are some denominations and some guys who downplay the ports of the substitution of Christ. Listen, that teaches substitution. The fact that Jesus substituted himself for me is of utmost importance for my salvation. Why? Because I'm the one that's supposed to pay for my sin. I committed it. I pay for it. That's how it works. I, a lot of times I look at it that way. You know, I'll see something and somebody had to do, the, you know, somebody did this or that and they had to pay up and said, shouldn't have done that. I mean, you, you've got to know, you got to know, you're going to pay the piper, man. You got to know. I'm supposed to do that. Jesus paid it for me, so I wouldn't have to. He paid that curse. Then, verse 14, so important. In order that, it's a little hint of clause, it's an important little Greek clause that means for the purpose. There are two of them in verse 14. He hung on a tree. The purpose that in Christ Jesus, the reason for all that is important, that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, remember that all the world should be blessed through you, might come to the who? The Gentiles. So that, or with the result that, we would have received the promise of the Spirit through faith. See how all this comes together now in this last verse? You know, you got to have faith. You know, you, to have the spirit, you have faith. To begin that in you, to complete it. So here's the thing. You know, we can't save ourselves. If you try to keep the law, you can't do it. You're cursed under the law. Everyone who's under the law is cursed. But Jesus went and, and he paid the price on the tree. He hung for us. He did all of that for one purpose. One purpose only. So that we can be saved. How are we saved then? By faith. 
we become the children of Abraham. That blessing that God promised Abraham becomes to us through Jesus. That's why, that's why I say it thousands of times. The Old Testament promises something. It promised through Abraham that he would be, we would be saved through his seed, through Jesus. We'll see about that more next week. And so when he hung on the cross, he fulfilled that promise. How do I make that real in my life? By works? Of course not. What work can I do to receive that promise that God made 3,000 years ago, excuse me, almost 4,000 years ago to Abraham? How can I do anything to receive that promise? I can't. I can only receive it because of Jesus' work, and I can only get Jesus by faith. So why in the world are we adding laws like circumcision and keeping the Sabbath and dietary laws to faith? It won't do anything but condemn you. It condemned the Jews. It'll condemn the Gentiles. Paul says... You experienced something before you ever met those Judaizers. You experienced salvation through faith. Why would you keep the law? Why would you add that stuff when that won't help you at all? The only thing that helps you is faith. Which is why Martin Luther, Calvin, and the Reformers, and Baptists, Methodists, Lutherans, Presbyterians, all of us through the year after year, decade after decade, century after century for 500 years, says you are saved by faith alone. It is the fundamental doctrine that changed Christianity in 1517 when the Reformation began. Whatever you think about any of those guys, doesn't matter. Their understanding that works cannot save us, but faith and faith alone is the fundamental message of Christianity. And it comes right here. Questions you may have. It's almost through and we get to go get those little Awana Angels, they don't go to 7.15 like they used to, or 7.30. They get out at 7 now. we got to get out of there. So if you have a question, ask it now. Don't ask me out in comments. I'm a, when I walk out of here, I'm through. All right. See you all later.